0: 165,000 terawatts of sunlight every day and that's 10,000 times more than the energy we spend in the world, which is about 13 terawatts. So here's the, uh, here's the uh, first, uh, the, the tutorial part. When light falls on mater- uh, matter, it does two things. One is it produces heat, that's the molecular vibrations. In other words, the primary process. And then there is a, and if it's photons, working on special type of material, semiconductors or, or plants. Then you have uh, the quantum processes. The conversion, one, big, one line, one path is the thermal conversion. The top line is the uh, photo conversion. And then, of course, the conversion, that's the conversion mechanism. And then your product is electricity, fuels, chemicals, process heat Etc. All right, let's take the first one very quickly the thermal conversion path, which is a more uh, more familiar path. And as you see, uh, the primary products are ocean currents, ocean thermal gradients, hot fluids and solids, atmospheric winds, evaporation. All these are primary products. The conversion mechanism is turbines, uh, heat engines. and so on. There's a whole list here. Wave conversion, wind turbines of which you will hear from Ruth pretty soon, salinity gradients, hydroelectric, so all this is in the category of converting the uh, renewable, the solar energy into and then of course we have the useful end product which could be shaft power, it could be hot water, etc. So that's the first first path. The second is a little less familiar or more involved, and that 's the discrete quantum processes in which in which case the photon knocks off an electron and a an incredible exciting uh, reactions take place, excited states, so you yeah, have a photosynthesis process belongs to that which then leads to biomass, and the biomass then uh, can be used to uh, generate uh, uh, through anaerobic digestion, for example, methane. Hydrolysis, fermentation, biofuels. Further down, you have the photoelectrochemistry, and then photovoltaics. And the primary products here are electricity and chemicals. So it's really a very broad, broad uh, products you get out of the use of renewable energy. And that's I wanted to impress that uh, because we usually hear of wind and solar as uh, the, uh, the the solar thermal and wind turbines are kind of, or photovoltaics are considered as the leading things, but there are a lot more that can be done uh, at various stages. All right. The next important point is we have the the technology is fine. We're doing well. You know, it's been like almost, if you count from 1975, when the real push started with renewable technologies, we are now 35 years and the technology is there, but there's a very fundamental thing that people forget and that's called market penetration and this was developed by the Marchetti, it's called the Marchetti rule. Uh, The reason I'm showing this is the question is we've been working for 35 years why are we at 3%? 3 What's the matter? The problem is there are market forces, infrastructure situation, issues, all those are the kind of quote-unquote intangibles that limit the progress of any new fuel system and here is what the, uh, the, the picture is look at coal okay, it rises up to a peak and then starts coming down oil gas the interesting thing is these curves are very robust it looks like this the tendency of entering starting into the market and capturing the market is is almost independent of the fuel you use. Uh, if you look carefully, to be able to penetrate 25 percent of the market it takes 50 years or 20 percent. Any of these uh, systems have done this, And so renewable energy unfortunately is very much subject to the same rule and uh, as we shall see shortly we have we are actually in a, what I would call the knee of, uh, that's the bad news. Market forces are, are uh, the determining factor as to how fast you can use renewable energy as part of the energy budget of any country, anywhere. However, uh, there are, what has happened in the last 10 years, we now have converging trends which will shape our future for renewable energy. And there's five of them. And there are the, the emphasis is converging. All these have existed in the past, but they're now all moving together. Increasing environmental awareness, look what's happening at uh, uh, the, uh, the BP oil spill or what happened at Exxon Valdez situation and the environment, all of a sudden that has, it has made it important that hey, there are serious in environmental issues with fossil fuels. Next one is availability of new technology options. The 35 years have brought us to the point where wind now is competitive with almost any other fuel system, maybe except for hydropower. So the technology is getting there very fast. World energy demand growth is always there, 1.9% per year, 2% uh, depends on whether it's uh, developed countries or underdeveloped countries. The next one is energy security. This has become significant. I don't know if you guys realize we spend $600 billion a year for defense and $600 billion to import oil. Uh, it's You feel like it's crazy that we rely so much on importing oil and that affects our own security. Not only that, renewable energy is the only universally available source. Every country has either sun or wind or biomass, or a combi- or water, or combination thereof. So you're not isolated. Certain people are f- more fortunate than others. So that's number four. And finally it's really an increasing business, a trillion dollar business, which of course would attract in- investors. So it's the convergence of these that have brought us now to what I call the knee, or the tipping point, where you will see more and more, sorry, more and more uh, uh, use of the technology. Just to give you a, just a quick look uh, our uh, the uh, energy efficient and ener- what's
1: bad?
0: Use the microphone. Use the microphone. Oh use the microphone. I have to almost swallow it for you to hear it. That's, that's what my problem. <laughs> okay I will use it. Uh, this is the 2009-2010 uh, funding from our uh, Department of uh, Energy, and was, uh, of course you have to see the trend the way it has gone. The problem with the Department of Energy is, or our energy uh, policy is, unlike defense, it changes from one administration to the other. It goes up, it goes down. Carter started high, Reagan almost eliminated it, saying we all to nuclear power. Obama has picked it up again, so it keeps, instead of having a steady, Support like we do with defense. We don't consider energy as defense. And yet, look at that $600 billion problem we have with defense versus import, uh, importing oil. And anyway, look at ENMA. One, another point I want to make here just is, is that energy efficiency is critical. It has to go with renewable energy. And I'm glad that the dollar figures, the billions, are increasing in in uh, energy efficiency and conservation. Uh, As you notice, the largest portion in renewable energy or effort right now is in solar, which is photovoltaics and solar thermal. Just give you a uh, kind of a a quick overview for the United States. All Another point you want to keep in mind that makes renewable energy tough is this simple equation. Unlike fossil fuels or nuclear, which is highly concentrated, solar is diffuse wind is intermittent. Biomass is diffuse, which means that you have to be very careful with your Q-Net. In other words, rate of energy production through photovoltaics and biomass is great, but you have to take off all the energy that goes into preparing the whole thing because it's diffuse. For example, if we were to replace our electricity production uh, through photovoltaics in Nevada, 400 miles by 400 miles, say, of panels in there, the material cost, the energy that goes into preparing them is almost like building a nuclear power plant. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's where it is, which means that you have to be very careful. One of the problems with biomass, you hear about corn being converted to biofuels, all you get is 10% above what the energy you put in. But if you go into the waste, uh, the... um, Corn stover, for example, which is weight, then the ratio goes up. Your production is two, three, four times more than what you put in. In other words, this is critical for renewable energy, which is not so for fossil fuels. Here is a snapshot. This, this was prepared by ABB, this Brambovari system in Switzerland. It uh, shows you the 12, 2007 production of electricity. And if you look at the left-hand, first look at the curve, you'll see that we're at the three percent mark. If you don't include hydro, which has always been with us and it's part of, it's considered as renewable energy, uh, but the price, of course, is still high. Uh, if you use photovoltaics, look at the top left in there. The photovoltaics is see, here we we'll go, is 20 cents a kilowatt hour right now. Solar thermal is between 10 and 20, depending on how you use it. Wind is the closest to really being competitive with nuclear, which is five. This also ranges from five to seven. Hydro is still the cheapest, and natural gas is still at least for United States is, is low. So here is kind of a snapshot of the world the way things are looking. And the question is increasing this three percent. And I oops All right. Here it shows the annual growth rate of uh, renewable energies over the last 17 years throughout the world. This is the total primary energy source. Growth is 1.9%. Energy, renewable energy is growing at less percentage, average, 1.7%. And you notice that the fastest growing one right, is the wind, 25%. This is the average over the 17 years. Biofuels including municipal waste has picked up. Solar photovoltaic and thermal is in the 10% range. But if we take it each year, like in the last few years, photovoltaics has gone up like 20% a year. In other words, we are on the knee of the thing and the tipping point has been reached. And that's, the bad news is 3%. The good news is the rate is such that probably we will make 20% 2020, right? That's our goal. All uh, right, very quickly. Oh. Oh, okay. I'm going in the wrong direction. Okay, one important point here is just one, one look at efficiency uh, very quickly. This was prepared by ABB. They presented it to us six months ago, and it's remarkable. Energy efficiency, how much you can actually make your existing systems efficient. You have a tremendous uh, uh, range you can do it. From primary energy to industrial production, 80% of the energy is lost. That's the existing system. But what you can do is here's the red line showing that there's easy. With minimum expense compared to new energy uh, resources, you can do it, you can save 20% just by improving your efficiency through each of these steps. So efficiency becomes very, very important, important to, to consider. Uh, I can't see this, that's why I'm going into the other direction. Well, I apologize, I can't, I can't see the buttons down. I'm just about to wrap it up Yeah, uh, Go the other direction. I can't, I can't see the... No, no, the other way, see. Hold on. it's on that, yeah. Going on, okay, there we go. All right, next one, yeah. Here is the efficiency challenge for different countries. Japan is the most efficient energy production system. This is a dollar per GDP. Germany is next. US is next. Look at China, how inefficient it is. And uh, Middle East and so on. Press one more time and I was shocked to hear this. If you press that again. Yeah. This, no big deal for you, but it is for me. This is Armenia. This is typical of the former Soviet Union countries. How inefficient their energy systems are. Okay, next one. Uh, very quickly, to as an example of uh, potential and problem, here is Armenia, which is a tiny country in the Caucasus. It is so small on the map; if a fly sits on it, you won't see it. <laughs> it has million uh, population. It's landlocked, no fossil fuels, relies on hydropower and an aging nuclear power plant, but has abundant wind and solar resources and it's given in the below, the numbers, what they are. That's, before we can use renewable energy we should look at what are the resources, very quickly. You take a map, this is a uh, um, overall picture and the colors show you which wind, which areas have the strongest wind potential, like for example the dark blue. These are mountain passes where your persistence of the wind and the level of wind is such it makes sense economically to put uh, up to 200 uh, megawatt uh, systems. That's the first picture then the next one it shows here's the very first step in Armenia in which uh, Vestas turbines were used four of them providing five million kilowatt hours to a village. The next one is the solar the same way you have to take an overall map of uh, where it is and the the darkest show the most uh, the highest Uh, amount of insulation, kilowatts per meter square per year. Again, there's enough sun to provide the entire electricity system for the country. Then what you do is you take the overall picture, then you go city by city, location by location uh, to know exactly where you're going to place your collectors just like you do with the wind turbines. Let's go on to the next one. The next one is mini hydro, you know Mini-hydro is where you use the run of the river. You don't use dams. So it's, it's uh, less costly, environmentally more friendly to use it. And Armenia has what, the, those are the rivers mentioned there on the left, and the potential uh, of uh, in installing these. When say mini-hydro is 10 megawatts or less is what's the term for mini-hydro is, okay? And the next one is, uh, last one is the bioethanol possibility. And again, you know, bioethanol is a big issue. Is it food or is it energy? So you have to use waste or things that do not compete. In Armenia, it turns out, of all things, that the Gahir gives you gasoline consumption, but what turns out uh, the, uh, uh, what, to to be able to get 5% level of blending using uh, biomass, let's go in the next one, um, you'll see Jerusalem artichoke and feed corn are... We did a thorough study for a year of what kind of biomass in Armenia would not compete with food and there's enough fallow land that you're not competing with agriculture. And it turns out Jerusalem artichoke and feed corns are, are uh, the, way to do, the way to go. Okay. If you didn't know... I didn't know what Jerusalem artichoke was. This is what it is. It's like a potato. And here is the leaf part of it and that's the on the other the left side is the is the corn uh, uh, for animal feed so it looks like these sources could provide or to replace some of the gasoline that is being used all of it is important in the country all right I think that let's wrap it up one more I believe yeah the concluding remarks is
1: renewable energies here
0: it's growing we're We're on the knee as far as uh, it's a tipping point, that's good news. Still, uh, many other things have to happen and here is one example for Armenia. The misdeveloped country, it's because it's landlocked, fossil fuel resources do not exist. Hydropower and uh, and nuclear, uh, aging nuclear power plant which has to be decommissioned within five years. It has abundant wind. Solar resources with interest from, and and to be able to, of course, we have to fund these things. Somebody has to invest. And this is where the difficulty comes. Are you going to get your investment money back soon enough? This is why USAID and World Bank have put the initial funds. There are more Armenians outside Armenia than inside Armenia. It's just like Israel. So we get a lot of support from. Diaspora Armenians investing in Armenia um, to, to bring up to 35% of the energy production in Armenia can be done through the three that I have listed. So we are preparing a roadmap now for the next 10 years for Armenia. And this will be typical for a lot of countries, especially developing countries, misdeveloped. You need a roadmap to go from here to there. And that's what we have, we've been working on We'll get some answers soon. The big question, though, the big question is, will the Republic of Armenia government provide proper incentives? Unfortunately, without incentives, renewable energy is still not competitive. You have to have tax write-offs. You have uh, feed-in tariffs. These cost the government. And if the government has a vision for the future, he'll do it. I've been fighting for 20 years with the Armenian government to do this. So far, they're reluctant to, put, to do these incentives. And that's where the difficulty is. So that's all I have. I don't want to take any more time. Maybe we can take a few questions. I'll be glad to answer. You don't need water for artichokes. That this is Jerusalem artichoke, and they're very hardy. Minimum water requirement. That was the key for selecting it. Good question. In the back. Oh. A lot of your use of fuel and, and is dependent on supplying fuel for uh, combustion engines. I mean, stationary power plants, uh, all, all forms of transportation. Uh, and I personally am a strong advocate of going fuel cell route because of the greatly increased potential. Yes. Efficiency. Yes. Instead of twenty-five percent level, maybe you get three times the efficiency uh, out of a, a not a combustion process and an oxidation process, which is not combustion. So you're not trying to extract uh, energy from. Yeah. Now, you, you'll hear more about this when Stan Bull yeah. gives the plenary session where he will be emphasizing the importance of hydrogen and fuel that? cells. Oh. Yeah. In the back, there was a question. Yeah. yeah I was wondering
1: uh, these large dams, like, it wouldn't really apply to Armenia, but th- these large dams like <coughs> three gorgeous dam in China, how, how many years does it take to recover the energy that, mm. that takes?
0: To... <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know, but that's. If you count that, then you're right. All that has to be, you have to have a full life cycle when you develop something. You just can't do it and you have to start from birth to death and see what it takes. It'd be interesting to, to get that number also. One more and I think we should stop here. Any more?
1: Actually, I have oh.
0: one. Oh, you have one. Ken, where uh, does our
1: media get its natural gas and its gasoline from? Is it from the Soviet Union or somewhere else? No,
0: it's all from the Soviet Union. Because Armenia is captive of, has, has always been little brother to Russia. In fact, there's a joke Armenians have. A Russian and an Armenian are caught in a, an island all by themselves. There's one loaf of bread. And the Russian tells the Armenian, let's, uh, let's divide this like brothers. The Armenian says, no, 50-50. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all
0: right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.
1: over, and would you mind introducing yourself? I appreciate that. Well, I'm Peter Hess, and I work at the National Center for Science Education in Berkeley, California, um, with a day job that involves me being a liaison between Richard Dawkins and Ken Ham. <laughs> <laughs> Something that has not happened very frequently. I had a very interesting interchange with uh, Richard Dawkins that sort of changed his mind about Christians who accept evolution, but unfortunately that's not for this talk. Uh, What I'd like to do is is follow on from Ken's great talk with a a different, a look at oil, and... um, and if I may, if I seem like I'm stepping on the toes of renewable, I'd like to handle that in the question-and-answer session, because as you say, this is an extremely complex question about the future of humanity. <coughs> My partner in this is uh, Dick McDonald, who unfortunately could not be here today. He is a, uh, I'm a theologian. Dick is a uh, retired nuclear physicist and oil investor, who began um, investing in oil wells about 30 years ago, and then began noticing that he was investing in many more dry holes than wet holes. Uh, We met and started talking about this because he was the coach of my son's cross-country team, and we spent many gloomy hours discussing the end of oil while our kids were happily running around. So um, I like to uh, illustrate my lectures for students with cartoons. And uh, Bizarro is one of the great philosophers.